I had a friend who um, was doing some farm work in Somalia, and he said that the way they greet one another on the street in Somalia is to call and in that language to say, is it peace? And the answer should be, yes, it's peace. If the answer is not, yes, it's peace, then you know there's some turmoil or something that is awry. And so we're going to talk today about the greeting, is it peace? One of the loveliest greetings in the world is shalom. And especially on Sabbath, you say Shabbat Shalom, which is Sabbath Shalom. Shalom is one of the most beautiful words that we bring over from the Hebrew language and Hebrew traditions. And it means peace, and it means wellness, it means happiness, it means deep satisfaction and contentment. And the commitment of God to Shalom has determined his behavior through many thousands of years as he has developed his covenant people. And so as we think about uh, greeting this morning, and as we think about this whole notion of shalom, we come to this beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. It's interesting looking at the beatitudes one by one and see what the attached result is going to be. And so with this one, this one uniquely, those who are called peacemakers are the ones who are called sons of God. Probably because this one, maybe even more than the others, um, shows the primary characteristic of God, that God is a God who loves peace. And so if you're like your father, you would also be someone who loves peace, and you might be called a son of God or daughter of God because you are a peacemaker. Thinking about being a peacemaker is a complicated process and, and quite a journey. We as a country have often been known as peacekeepers. And when we go to an overseas setting, we, we see ourselves very often primarily there to keep peace. And so it's interesting in our minds to sort of compare those two activities. What's the difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker? Presumably the peacemaking aspect is more difficult. Uh, once peace has been made, Let's hope it's easier to keep peace once it has been made. But Jesus said, blessed are those who are peacemakers. They will be called sons of God. Week by week, as I prepare these talks, I, I'm sort of never quite sure where I will end up being. And where I ended up this week um, is more on the line of a pastoral approach to the matter of peace. Um, the matter of peace being a condition of, of life, a condition of being, not only with one another, but in our own selves, deep in our lives, deep in our souls, to be people who have peace. And I think many times as we travel on our daily journeys, we come across people, and the last thing that we could really say about them is that they seem to be at peace. We come across many people who are troubled. Um, they're concerned, they're worried, they're dealing with difficult circumstances, dealing with difficult relationships, and the thing that is elusive to them is this whole matter of peace. So I want to meditate on that with you this morning, and I'm, I'm going to go to Jesus and just tell you something that is very interesting in, in my learning. Now, I should have known this a long time ago, and I'll tell you why, but after Jesus was raised from the dead... Only after he was raised from the dead, 
every time we're given an account of his visiting his disciples, he said to them, peace be with you. He, he never said that until he had died and been raised from the dead. But every time he met his disciples after his resurrection, he showed up in their midst and said, peace be with you. They were having a meal together. Jesus appeared and said, peace be with you. Um, he wanted to send them to tell the world about him, and he said, peace be with you. Um, he showed up when the guy who didn't believe, unless he was able to put his hand in his side and his hands, and Jesus said, peace be with you. So what was it um, that made that such an important commitment on Jesus' part that he would say it and had never said it before? in that sort of a formula sort of way. So I went to John chapter 14, and John 14 begins and ends with a promise about peace. So what has just happened is that Jesus has told his disciples that he is expecting to die. He's going to leave them. And to say that they were troubled is a terrible understatement. They were beside themselves. They were, they were distraught, and they had no idea what would happen. How could this possibly be? that rather than establish his kingdom and uh, take care of the Roman oppression, um, that Jesus was saying he was expecting to die and he was going to leave them. So in the middle of their being troubled or distraught or distressed or at, at wit's end about that, Jesus said something to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then a little bit farther on in that passage, um, he kind of sandwiches it by saying to them something very similar. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Starting and finishing with this, don't let your heart be troubled. The word troubled um, means to be completely discombobulated, right? It, it means to be completely out of order. It means to have a mess, um, to have everything in the wrong order, in the wrong place, everything where it should not be and what should be there, not. It's, it's to be incredibly disturbed. And what happened by his telling them that he was going to die and to leave them was that their hearts were thrown into this incredible turmoil. And now he says, now let me say this again. Don't let your hearts be thrown into this incredible state of disarray. And here's why you don't need to let that happen. He said, peace I leave with you. I, I'm going to leave my peace with you. So don't let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The word fearful um, is a word that actually means to be cowardly. There is another word about fear, and th that word is a word that, that gives us the, the word phobia, which is just sort of this deep-seated worry or anxiety, but that's not the one that Jesus uses. He uses one that means to actually cower in the presence of a threat. So he says, I know that in your lives there can come these circumstances by which you are thrown into incredible disarray, and you are forced to cower before the thing that is threatening you. I wonder if any of us this morning are somewhere there. Probably all of us can at least remember that there have been events, there have been times when it just feels as though everything is out of order. Everything is out of sorts. And there have been those times when we are overcome by an incredible sense of dread, an incredible sense of fear about the thing that is upon us. 
We have um, one of our children, Colin, is a worrier, has always been a worrier. And I remember saying to him one time, Colin, has anything that you've ever worried about really happened? And he said, not yet. And he's still that kind of a character as a grown man and dad. He still gets overwhelmed by this sense of dread or the sense of fear. Sometimes it's something that we can name and we can identify and say, I know that the reason I'm feeling such dread, the reason that I'm cowering is that this is happening on Tuesday. It's a medical appointment on Tuesday that has me shrinking back and feeling as though my heart has been grabbed and I'm scared of what's going to happen. Maybe it's a meeting, you're going to have a conversation with somebody and it's going to be one of those difficult, difficult conversations. And for whatever reason, you just, as you approach that, you're overcome with that great sense of dread of what could happen here. How could this go south and what am I going to do if, if that is what happens? And Jesus talks to his disciples and he says, um, I want you to know that in the circumstances of life, like my telling you what I've told you, when everything is thrown out of order, when it's not supposed to be the way it is, and when you are in dread, when you're overcome by a nameless or even named fear, I am giving you something to take care of that. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. If you are someone who is presently feeling as though everything is overwhelming, everything is out of sorts, out of order, and you find yourself waking up at four in the morning, because what is it about four in the morning, right? That is the dark hour when the dread visits you in bed. It is dark. It feels cold. And there is something that just gets a hold of your heart. And Jesus says, in those kinds of circumstances, you need to know that what I have given to you is all that you need. And the way he characterizes what he has given is really amazing. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. So just camp on those verbs for a few minutes. Jesus says there is something here. And this is not something we very often attach to the benefit of the work of Jesus for our salvation and forgiveness and all of that. But he says, as long as you understand who I am, why I have come, and what I have come to do, part of the benefit of Calvary is peace. Not only forgiveness, you know, not only power, all, all of those other things, but, but a peace. And he says, my peace I leave with you. He's the present tense and says, I'm leaving my peace with you. And secondly, he says, my peace I'm giving to you. So think about that, and let me just give you a little illustration here. Suppose, Laurie, I say, this paper I'm leaving with you. I'm giving you this paper. What has to happen next? Just to take it, right? She can believe all she wants that I've got this paper for her, but I'm saying, no, 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 I'm leaving this for you, right? I'm giving this to you. If that's the language that Jesus used about this, I think he wants us to engage our faith and say, if you are telling me that when life is in complete disarray, 
when I'm overcome by dread and fear, you have told me that you've given me something for that circumstance. You have left your peace with me, and you have given your peace to me. So when I leave here today, if I could come and take that newspaper, put it under my arm and walk out, I will have denied the very thing that I'm promising to Lori. So Lori, you better take that thing home today or mess up the illustration, right? Jesus says, when life is overwhelming, when you are filled with dread, my peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. And then he says, the peace that I'm leaving with you is not like the way the world gives you peace. Think about that. Because the world will try to give us peace. You know, the world will try to assuage our concerns. Well-intentioned friends will say things. Well-intentioned friends will do things. And sometimes they're really quite helpful. A good friend is a good friend. A listening ear is a tremendous gift. But Jesus says, I just want you to know that when life is overwhelming, I have something that I've left with you and that I'm giving to you and it's different from the peace that the world gives you. The world cannot give you the peace that I'm promising you. Over the years, one of the incredible benefits of being in, in pastoral ministry has been to hear people tell the story of how God's peace has been overwhelming and has been different from the peace that the world gives. See, the, the world gives a peace that is still corrupted. So back to that whole notion. The world is corrupt. The system of the world is corrupt. And the world can't promise its way out of corruption. So somebody comes and says, I'm sure it'll be all right. Well, you know what? They may not be right about that. They may pile up all the best thoughts that they have and say, all of my thoughts are being directed to you, and I'm sure it's going to be all right. Well, the world is still broken. Systems of the world are still corrupt. And so the peace that the world promises is not peace that it can actually deliver. And so here is the provision of Jesus at Calvary and at the resurrection, is that he says, I'm giving you something. I'm actually leaving it with you. It's right there with you if you want it. And it is different from the peace that the world gives you or that the peace can promise you. Peace I leave with you, peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. My peace I leave with you. If you are facing a really difficult circumstance, then the world will do its best, and we should receive and give the best we can. But we need to understand that we cannot promise anything more than what might be a visit from God in the middle of the corrupted world in which we're living. But Jesus says, no matter what comes your way, there is something you can have from me. What you can have from me is peace. Deep, settled shalom. And it's incredible because it's in contrast to circumstances. It's incredible because sometimes it blossoms because of circumstances. And the folks that tell me stories about, well, boy, I would never want to have to go through that again. I would never want anybody to have to go through that. But... The peace of God that visited me, I, I can't explain it. I wouldn't trade that for anything. 
And I think the Holy Spirit calls into our lives and says, yes, that's what Jesus promised. When he said to you, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Those four or five occurrences of Jesus when he shows up to see his friends after his resurrection, every time he says to them, peace be with you. Why did he only say, start saying it then? Because now he had done the transaction, right? Now he had provided the peace that comes from his having dealt with the corruption of sin in our lives, our bodies, and in our world. And so every time he showed up, that work having been done, no matter what was on the hearts of the disciples, he could say to them, peace be with you. In fact, peace is with you. I am in your presence to bring you peace. I think sometimes we, we get the, the, the picture of the disciples being more noble than they were. Um, that after the death and resurrection of Jesus, you know, they were emboldened and empowered and strong. Well, they weren't. They were terrified. They were sure that the Romans were coming after them next. They were sure that if the Romans didn't come after them, then the Jewish leaders would come after them. And so even as they tried to deal with what had gone on, they were living in terror of these authorities. And in the middle of their fear and their confusion and the kind of conversations that they must, must have been having with one another because somebody said they saw him alive. How could he be alive? We saw him being crucified. Nobody gets to come back to life after that kind of death. And what's going to happen to us? What are all the things he promised that we were supposed to see happen? It's all done now. It's all gone. And he's gone. What are we going to do? And there's a, there's a person appears. And they're terrified by that person. Or they've quit altogether and they've gone fishing. And they can't even catch fish anymore. And then there's somebody on the shore who speaks to them and asks them a really awkward question. Like, do you have any fish? Because it's time for breakfast. And they say... We fished all night. We can't catch a thing. And Jesus said, peace be with you. And they remembered that he had promised them that when life was in total disarray, when they were fearful for their lives and for everything else, that he had promised them that they could have his peace, that his peace would be left with them. There are lots of things that have been provided to us because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. You know, notably, forgiveness of our sins. The promise of a part in a recreated universe that we've been talking about for a long time. But here's this thing that is very present and real and available today that says this is not about the life after the life after death. This is about today. That if today your life is in disarray and you're fearful... Today, Jesus will provide you peace if you want it. it. It is an act of faith to receive it, right? But why would we not act in that faith? Do we doubt his promise that he would give it to us? I don't think so. Do we doubt his ability to give it to us? Not because of his testimony and because of the testimony of many, many people who will say the peace of God overwhelmed me in that circumstance. So why would we hesitate to just say, yeah, if you've left peace for me, and if your peace is available to me, thank you. I'll receive that peace right now. So I'm going to ask you just to bow together with me in prayer.
And you alone, maybe a few people near you know of the difficult circumstances that you face. And there are lots of them. All of us in this room have little troubles and some of us have big troubles, right? And we need lots of things. But we really need peace. We need to be able to sleep at night. We need to be able to uh, make it through the day. We need the peace of God to invade us. And Jesus focuses it. He says it's, it's when, when your life is out of control and when you're seized by fear. Right then, you need to know that I have peace. I've left it with you. I've left it for you. So take it. Embrace it. And let it reign in your heart and life. Father, I pray that you will give courage to all of those who are feeling overwhelmed and who are cowering in the face of the circumstances that are upon them. May they know that by your grace and your love and your mercy, Jesus has left peace for us. And he has left it with the full authority of his declaration that Calvary being finished, the resurrection being accomplished, he can say, peace be with you. Father, we receive peace by faith. We expect to see your hand working. And we're grateful for all the encouraging things that friends say, but we are desperately grateful for your promise and provision of peace to us. I didn't understand a particular tradition in church it's called passing the peace. I, I never knew what that meant because it wasn't my tradition. So I would go to an Anglican church or a high church or a Roman Catholic church, and at the end they would say, now it's time to pass the peace. I didn't know how to pass the peace. Do you know how to pass the peace? You look at one another and say, peace be with you. And the person answers, and also with you. I think we ought to start doing that. I wish I'd started doing that a long, long time ago, right? Because isn't that beautiful? Not hi, how are you, or whatever version of that, but peace be with you, and also with you. So it's time to say that, isn't it? So why don't we stand up now? Turn to somebody near you and pass the peace. Say peace be with you and let them respond.